I want to, uh, to begin this morning by uh, giving a little recognition, something you may or may not um, have, uh, have seen this morning, because a lot of you parked out here or on the side. Uh, but if you happen to park in what we call either the back 40 here, you may have noticed as you came uh, into the building, there is uh, on the right side near the playground what looks like a little um, cow pen. Is uh, an octag- octagon, right, Joe? Octagon? Is there eight sides? Eight? Okay. I'm not sure. I didn't count them up. So that, was, that has been built out there, and I, I want to let you know what that is. Uh, Jay McNaughton, Jay who's back in our sound booth today and running the projector, Jay is working on his requirements to be an Eagle Scout. And one of the requirements, as those of you that know, is that you have to, I guess you have to build something, basically. Uh, contribute. And, and he built, what is out there is actually a, um, a gaga pit. How many of you know what a gaga pit is? Okay, yeah, the youth know what a gaga pit is. Other than, and, and, and the youth workers know what a gaga pit is. Nobody else has an idea. Um, do you guys remember Foursquare? Do you remember playing Foursquare with the ball? Okay, it's nothing like that. Um, <laughs> It is, how did you describe it, Joe? It's like dodgeball, low dodgeball? Four square meets dodgeball. It's all the fun of dodgeball without getting hit in the face. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pit for, the, for young people and older people, if you want to figure it out, to play and have fun. And uh, it's kind of one of those real popular games right now. And it is generational, which is why a lot of us don't know what it is. But, but Jay built that. Jay and Joe and the, and the troop were out there. Uh, they were out there yesterday doing it. And I said, I'm so glad you picked a nice, cool time of the year to do this. Um, but they worked so hard. It's great. And they did such a good job. So, Jay, thank you, buddy. And Joe as well. Um, so that kind of furthers that area. And we're going to have some neat stuff down the road with that area as well. So I just wanted to, I wanted to recognize that. I wanted to share that. All right. Now. Mother was cleaning out her refrigerator, getting rid of some of the leftovers that she had in there, and, and she, had a, um, she had some tortellini. So her little, little boy, Jeremy, six years old, was in the kitchen with her, and, and she said, Jeremy, would you like this leftover tortellini? And it was lunchtime. He said, yeah, I want the tortellini. So she warmed it up, and she gave it to him. Problem was, before he started eating, his older brother, Russell, came in. Russell was eight years old. Russell saw the tortellini. Russell wanted some tortellini. So Jeremy didn't want to share, so they started fighting. They started bickering back and forth. As they're fighting over this food, Dad walks in, and knowing Jeremy you know, had been given to Jeremy, he's trying to get um, Jeremy to share it. So he's trying to mediate this, and he's trying to, to convince Jeremy to share some with his brother. Jeremy did not want to share any with his brother, wasn't having any part of it. So Dad decided to get theological. He said, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, what do you think Jesus would do? And Jeremy looked at him and said, Dad, that's easy. Jesus would just make more. <laughs> and, and you can read and you can think about that in two perspectives. One, of course, whether Jesus would just make up another batch or as Jesus had the habit to do, to multiply. Maybe that's what little Jeremy thought. And maybe little Jeremy was drawing upon the very story that we're going to read from today in the Gospel of John, which is that story of there just being a little bit of food and Jesus making more. And Jesus multiplying so that a multitude could, could be fed. And that's where we pick up the feeding of the 5,000. In this Gospel of John, it's found in the 6th chapter. And this is what we read. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. 
And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus answered, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, a story we know well, a story that so many of us heard before. Lord, speak new, speak fresh, speak a word that will help shape our understanding of who you are and and who we are called to be. And so in these moments, may these words be inspired by your Holy Spirit and may they be pleasing to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I mentioned before I read, this is one of the better known of the gospel stories. This is one of the better known of the miracles of Jesus for a number of reasons. Uh, One of those is that it's one of the few stories from the life of Jesus, one of the few events from the life and ministry of Jesus that is actually told in all, all four gospels. You can find this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is somewhat of a rarity for something to appear all four, really in the very, very same way. Sometimes John has something, the other Gospels don't. Matthew, Mark, and Luke sometimes will have something John doesn't and, and some variation therein of some unique storytelling. But, but all four Gospel writers considered this an important enough story that they included it in their narrative of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, so it, it's familiar to, to a lot of us, this, this, this feeding of the 5,000. A, a preacher... and, and the, the, the nuance sometimes is in the language that's used. John says that everybody ate till they were, were filled or, or had enough to eat. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that everybody was satisfied. They ate till they were satisfied. A preacher once said years ago said that there were two miracles in this story, two miracles in this event. One is the feeding of the 5,000. The second is the fact that 5,000 people were satisfied. Okay? And those of you that try to please groups of people know how impossible that can be. But, but the Scriptures say that they, the 5,000, and really more than 5,000, because 5,000 was the number of men. This doesn't count women and children that may have been there. But they were all satisfied. And that's an interesting um, phenomenon, really, that they were able to eat till they were filled. We don't think much about that. 
But in the time of Christ lived, and really with the, the people that came to hear him, many of them would very rarely have an opportunity to eat as much as they wanted. Uh, it wasn't a common, it's more of a, a, a modern phenomenon anyway, and really not even a modern phenomenon, it's an American thing, or, or a developed country thing, because there are many part people in the world that don't have an opportunity to eat until they're satisfied. They're just happy if they get something. But on the other hand, most of us, and, and let me preface this, I know that some of your stories, and there are times in your lives, or maybe now, where you don't always, not everybody has enough to eat every time. But I am going to kind of guess that for most of us, We've, we've known what it's like to, to have more than enough. Uh, we, we've known what it's like to eat so much that you couldn't get up from the table kind of full. You know, need a wheelchair to, to get out kind of a thing. Uh, because, because we have an abundance around us and, and often before us. We, we look at that and we go, well, to eat as much as you want, that's, that's not that big a thing. Because we do. In fact, we eat to excess. We eat more than we need dietitians and nutritionists will tell you that we, we eat more than we want. Our, we've, as our, the years go by, serving sizes have gotten bigger. We eat 500 more calories today than we did 20 years ago, on average. You go to any, you know, we have all-you-can-eat buffets all over the place. We have supersize at the places that none of us need to be eating anyway. Um, but you can do that, and, they, and they're huge. We, we came through the other day, Tony and Ryan and I, um, we, uh, we decided to stop at Burger King. We shouldn't have. I know it's unhealthy, but we did. We didn't care. And, um, and so we went through, and I was, I was craving a Sprite, which is odd. I don't drink Sprite that often, and, and, but I was craving a Sprite. So we go through the drive-thru, and, you know, I order the Sprite, and the girl says, would you want small, medium, or large? I was like, well, I'm thirsty, so I'm going to get a large. That should not be small, medium, large. It should be small, medium, and that because they gave me a feeding trough, you know. I mean, it was huge, the amount of, it was a two liter in a cup, is what it was. It was so much, it was so large. In fact, I split it between the three of us because there was so much. Our serving sizes are so large. We have so much to eat. So, so dietitians and nutritionists will tell you that, that one of the things that we ought to do is that when we go to restaurants, we ought to just split our plates in half and take half home. And a lot of you do that, don't we? Don't we, t- we take doggy bags. We, take, we put it in the, the to-go containers, and it's in our fridge. Or, or at home, we have the, the Tupperware containers or the Rubbermaids, which we joke at our house half the time is the, the step between eating it and throwing it away. You know, it goes in the fridge until you finally can't keep it in there any longer. But we do our best not to let that happen. It does, but we do our best because, because we, have, we have so much. We don't want things to be wasted. We, I think even though we have an abundance, we, we don't want things to be wasted. So we're used to having excess. That's my whole point. That's the whole, the whole trail here is that we're used to having more than we necessarily need. But in the time of Jesus, that wasn't the norm. And I'm fascinated by that detail of the story. That certainly the, the, the multiplication of the loaves and fish is, is powerful. But the fact that at the end of the meal... There were 12 baskets left over. Jesus said, gather the remaining food, gather the leftovers, so nothing is wasted. And that makes sense, but I wonder, my first question I ask myself is, why was there extra anyway? I mean, Jesus starts with just a few loaves and fish, and so for there to be so much, is it possible that Jesus just overestimated the size of the crowd? Did Did he overestimate how hungry they were? Or was there a reason behind so much left over? Was there a lesson to be learned for the fact that Jesus collected the remaining bread? And, and I think you can guess that my supposition is that there's a purpose. 
for the reason for the leftovers, and we certainly know that because 12 is a significant number, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But what happens in this story? What is it, and it's a familiar story that, that we draw from that begins to shape our faith and understanding of what it means to be in a, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And, and there are three truths I want to pull out, but they really kind of build on each other, so at the end, really, there's, there's one significant truth. And so let me kind of start this little ladder, if you will. The first is this. I think this is the most obvious. Number one lesson, Jesus provides. Jesus provides. That, that's, that's what we get. The, these crowds have come to hear him. They've, they've kind of sacrificed their time. They've traveled. They haven't made adequate provisions. They've come to hear and to see what Jesus is doing, to hear his words, to see his miracles, and, and they're depending upon him. And so Jesus sees these crowds. He knows we've got a little bit of a problem. There's not enough to eat. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's what they say. We need to send these people home because they need to eat. In, in John's account, he says, Jesus tweaks Philip is what he does. I mean, don't lose sight of that. He sets Philip up, I think, a little wink nod. He knows what he's going to do, but he kind of says to Philip, hey, we need to get enough food for these people. And Philip basically says, you're out of your mind. We don't have enough money to do that. We can't feed this. And, and Jesus knows he has a plan. So he kind of sets up the table. But, but the point is they're coming, and, and what he's doing is he's using, as he often does, a physical experience to begin to teach a much deeper spiritual truth. And we're going to get to that in just one moment. But the, but the beginning lesson, that first lesson, is to teach people that, that he provides. He meets needs. That's what he does throughout his ministry. He meets people in their places of physical need, healings and miracles. He meets them in their spiritual need to offer them a reconciliation and a grace. He takes tax collectors that are ostracized and he brings them into the family. He takes prostitutes and, and women that have been pushed to the side and he brings them into the family. He takes children who are marginalized and he brings them into the family. That's what Jesus does. Jesus meets needs. So Jesus provides, and so this becomes an example of what that looks like, and everybody has enough. A few loaves and fish, and everybody eats. Jesus provides. But lesson one leads right into lesson two, because here's what, what it is. It's not just that Jesus provides, but Jesus provides more than enough. Jesus provides more than enough because he wants them to grasp the spiritual significance of what's happening. In fact, this is much more significant than just bread because everybody who ate the bread is going to get hungry again. Everybody who drinks water gets thirsty again. But Jesus is teaching something spiritually much deeper. And we see that because you don't have to go very far because just a, little, a few more verses down in chapter 6, the crowds are starting now to follow Jesus, but now they're starting to follow with an expectation. Now they're like, hey, if we just hang out with him, we won't be hungry. You know, we got a drive-in window at our disposal, and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus knows this has happened, and he says in verse 26, so now we're just going a few verses down. He says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, that you had enough to eat. But do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him the Father has placed the seal of, of approval. So now he's saying, basically, let's take this lesson deeper. Let's, let's go in a more significant place. And he says, the work God has is for you to believe in the one that God has sent. 
And he goes on to talk about that manna of heaven. If you know the Old Testament story, how Jesus provided for his people in the wilderness. And he says there's a bread that God's giving. And, and this is what he goes on to say. He says, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. We'd like an inexhaustible supply. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and who believes in me will never go thirsty. Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in a greater need. You know, this is not some lesson that, you know, those who believe in Jesus never have physical need. We know that not to be the case. But it is a lesson that says God meets us in a place of greater need. Jesus says that those who come to me, relationship with me, who recognize that bread is something more, they don't go hungry, they don't thirst, because I meet that need. And, and Jesus says to us, I meet you like he did for, for the people that he encountered. I meet you in your place of need, and I will provide you more than enough to heal your brokenness, to restore your hearts, to connect you to the presence of God in your lives. Jesus provides more than enough. And that's important for us. Paul would later say in Ephesians 3.20, he says, to him who is able to provide abundantly more than you can think or ask. I mean, imagine that. Who can provide abundantly more than you know to ask for or you know to even imagine. That's the God that we serve. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand is he wants to reframe our understanding of supply and demand, if you will. He wants us to understand that his presence and his grace and his love and his involvement in our lives, there's an inexhaustible supply. You can't run out. You can't run out. He wants to change our thinking from a change, from a thinking of scarcity to a perspective of abundance. See, scarcity is the way most of us think about life and the things that we need for life there's there's a limited supply you've got to get yours because if you don't get yours somebody else is going to it's the pie and there's only so many pieces and so we have to kind of protect and we have to kind of get what's ours or else somebody else will it's it's a perspective of scarcity let me share with you where that got lived out in my life it got lived out growing up around the dinner table it happened at the dinner table because as you know, I've told many of you, anyway, if you don't know, I'm the oldest of three boys. So at one point in our house, there were three teenage boys driving my mother crazy. Um, but what would happen is, you know, we'd gather and we'd have family meals. Now, let me be clear. There was always enough. We never went hungry. There was always enough. We always had what we needed. But we didn't always have as much as we wanted. So this is what would happen. We'd gather at the table. Mom would have the meal prepared, and there'd be food on everybody's plates. And, and we would pray. I always prayed before we eat. Dad would pray. And usually the prayer before the meal, the amen is the word that ends the prayer. But for three teenage boys, amen was the word that started the feeding so in other words, it would be like ending a prayer instead of saying, in, in Christ's name, amen. It would be like, in Christ's name, on your mark, get set, go. And this is why. This is why. Because while there was enough for everybody to have a plate, there wasn't always enough for everybody to have two plates. So you had to finish your first plate before the others did. 
if you wanted to get seconds. Because here's the mentality of scarcity. If my brother Brian got done and he got some, and David got done and he got some, and dad was there and he'd get some, then the fear is Chris would get none. So it became the race for seconds because there was a limited supply. A lot of us treat God's grace and provisions in our lives like that, that it's going to run out. We have to hoard it for ourselves. And, and Jesus uses a very visible, physical lesson to teach something. Jesus provides more than enough. There's more than enough. Five loaves and two fish doesn't seem like enough. Andrew said, what can we do with these meager offerings? And Jesus looks at it and says, it's more than enough. And everybody eats till they are filled. Why? Because it's more than enough. So much more that there's 12 baskets left over. And that brings through our third point. Jesus provides more than enough for us to share. Jesus provides more than enough for us to share. 12 baskets. Remind me again how many disciples there were. 12. Remember Philip at the beginning wondering, what are we going to give these people? Is it not a coincidence that each disciple had a basket of bread left over? Bread. And you may not have noticed that. It doesn't say there were any leftover fish. It says leftover bread. More than enough to continue to distribute. More than enough to continue to share. What is our call? Our call is not only to be filled. Our call is to overflow. That's what Paul says in Romans, to overflow. That is to partake and to receive, but to share the love that we have out of the abundance, out of the blessings, out of the gifts. Sometimes that may be physical. For some of us, that may be material things that we are called to be thankful for and to receive, but also to share. And you do that so graciously in so many ways. But it's also out of the goodness of God's love in our lives, His presence, which begins to transform us in such a way that we not only partake and we feed on this bread of life, but then we go into the world and we share that love and we live that. And that's why over and over we say, take our faith out these doors. Share the bread of life. That's what 12 baskets represents for us. I don't know what happened to it, but it couldn't last long. They didn't have refrigeration. They had to get, and I think that bread was not intended for those who were on that hill. I think that bread was intended to be taken to those who weren't there, to continue to receive, to bless those who weren't there, to share the good news with those who weren't there, to offer the meal to be filled for those who weren't there. That's what we're called to do. Our love isn't meant to be shared just with us in here. Indiscriminately. Share it with everybody. Doesn't matter. Share it. Give bread away. The bread of life. That's who Christ calls us to be. There's no offering that's too meager. There's no amount that's too little because God can take a few loaves and fish and do remarkable things with it. God has a history of taking what would be considered the meager offerings and doing so much with it. Her name was Hattie Mae Wyatt. Hattie Mae was a little girl the 1880s living downtown Philadelphia, very poor. She lived near Grace Baptist Church. One Sunday, Hattie Mae got dressed up to go to Sunday school. She loved to go to Sunday school. She, she put on her best dress, which wasn't much. It was tattered and it was dirty, but it was the best she had. And she went to Grace Baptist Church to go to Sunday school. The problem was a lot of people were going to Grace Baptist Church to go to Sunday school. And when she got there, the church was full. 
There was no room for her. There was no place to sit. She couldn't get in. So she stood outside the church and she cried. As luck would have it, she stood there and walked along came Reverend Russell Cronwell. Reverend Cronwell was the pastor of Grace Baptist Church and he saw little Hattie crying and he kind of went over and, and he kind of got down on her level and he asked her what was wrong. And she said, I wanted to go to Sunday school and there's no place for me. It's full. I can't get in. And he just smiled. He said, well, we can fix that. And he scooped her up and he carried her in the church and, and he found a place for her in the Sunday school and got her a chair and sat her down and she was so excited and she was so happy and he looked at her and said, don't you worry, Hattie. One day we're going to build a bigger facility so more people can come to Sunday school. Hattie went home and she thought a lot about that because she was excited about Jesus, but she wanted other people to know Jesus. And so she hatched a plan. Unfortunately, it would be not many months later that she became very ill. Uh, Reverend Cromwell, Cronwell went and prayed with her, but tragically, uh, Hattie... May Wyatt passed away. After her funeral, her mom and dad came up to Reverend Cronwell and they placed in his hands a small, tattered little purse. And they opened that purse and inside was 57 cents and a note. And the note said that Hattie had started saving every penny she found so that she could raise money to help build a new building for her Sunday school. Reverend Cronwell was obviously touched by her story. And so he stood up before his congregation, maybe that next week, and he had taken that 57 cents and he turned it into 57 pennies. And he told her story. And he auctioned off one penny at a time. And at the end of the auction, they raised $250. At the end of the auction, 54 of the pennies were returned to him. And with the $250, and again, keep in mind, this is the 1880s, they bought a house right next to the church, and they expanded their Sunday school. A church in the group started the, I believe they called it, the Mighty Wyatt um, Benevolence Ministry and, and work, and, and the church continued to grow, and the Sunday school continued to grow. And then this new college asked if they could hold their first classes in this little building that had been purchased with the money that Hattie Mae Wyatt had helped to, to start, to, to raise. And, and this little college was called Temple College, and they had their first classes there. Years later, that building was sold. The church moved. Today it is Temple Baptist Church, a sanctuary of over 3,000 people. That college moved. Today it is Temple University. And a catalyst of that college was the start of the Good Samaritan Hospital that still serves the Philadelphia area. If you go to Temple University in one room somewhere, from what I've read, you will see a picture of Hattie Mae Wyatt. 57 cents. Was it too small? Most of us would think there's nothing that can come of 57 cents. Yet it was a part of a story for a church and a university and a hospital amazing what God can do with just an offering of faithfulness. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. Five loaves and two fish, 57 pennies. 
God provides more than enough for us to share. Let us live it, partake of it, celebrate it, and then, friends, dear God, help us to share it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, that is the power of your story working through our stories. That you take what seems to be meager offerings. You take those things that we bring to you and you make them more than enough. Our talents, our resources, our gifts, and and you use them to a purpose far beyond ourselves. You use them to do abundantly more than we could think or imagine. Lord, meet us in our places of need. Fill us with your holy presence. Fill us with your strength. Fill us with your goodness and grace. And Lord, help us to share that, to take the bread of life that we have received and to share with so many who are hungry. This is our prayer. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.